Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Everybody, uh, this is Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning Monday, February 28th, 2022. I am recording this on Sunday afternoon. I normally do this on Monday morning, so there may be financial market developments between now and tomorrow morning. Uh, so if there are, uh, you know, check on LinkedIn or Twitter if there's something I think it's worth uh, noting, I will do so there. Of course, you can always follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Of course, this is a, both a podcast and available by subscription, free subscription, get the slides, emailing info at efficient-portfolios.com, or just speaking to any smart device and asking them to play slaying bulls and bears making the complex and complicated, simple and sensical. Uh, let's get right into it. But first, uh, the disclosures from our legal department. This is prepared by me for you, whether you are an investor or a financial advisor. Regardless, you're expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. No recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. Everything is purely for informational purposes only. So, we were greeted with uh, horrific geopolitical news last week with the Russian, uh, Russia invading the Ukraine. Ukraine, of course, is a country in uh, Eastern Europe between Russia and many of our NATO allies. Uh, that did send markets into some wild gyrations. Volatility uh, measurements spiked higher. We had some big down days followed by some very big up days. Uh, you know, on Friday, we have a big up day as well as Thursday. After being down uh, a lot Thursday, there was an intraday swing of about 5% in the S&P 500 at one point. So the US is always seen as the safe haven in the time of geopolitical stress. And as you can see, small and large cap stocks were all higher in the US last week. International markets, of course, declined in emerging markets of which Russia is part of that index uh, was down almost 5%. One of the developments from the sanctions on the Russia is that U.S. financial institutions uh, are going to be required to uh, divest in an orderly fashion from their Russian holdings. That's putting downward pressure on Russian financial assets. Here in the U.S., in our side of the business, ETFs that might own Russia because they follow a, an index, right, track an index, are going to be forced to divest of Russian assets, even if it's in the index, and therefore we should expect some performance diversion from the index. There is a time frame for this to happen. It's not until May. There are also ETFs and mutual funds that track only Russian stocks. There are Russian stocks that have American depository receipts, so they actually trade on US stock exchanges. We have to yet to see what's going to happen there. And then, of course, there are further sanctions being debated and talked about as we speak. I'm watching it live on my Bloomberg as I speak to you. Fixed income markets were mostly down last week, but in sympathy with U.S. equities, high-yield bonds actually rallied a little bit, up about 65 basis points. Almost across the board, economic data in the U.S. is continuing to improve uh, and is coming in better than expected. This is at a time when we, a lot of folks 
thought that uh, because we had such a great year in 2021, there would be a sort of a slowdown in that because of that base year effect in the growth rates and some of these numbers. It's really not happening. Uh, start with, uh, we had a lot of information on home prices and residential real estate last week. Uh, FHFA home price index expected to go up 1%, went up 1.2. And that's not a typo of 17.5%, on the year-over-year -year basis. The FHFA index is calculated by those transactions where there is financing provided by one of the um, GSEs, the government-sponsored enterprises. Case-Shiller Home Price Index is a little broader. They both generally track the same. It rose 1.4%, 1.46 on the, on the month. It is up 18.5% on a year-over-year basis. So this obviously helps American balance sheets for those that own homes. Then there's the case of, well, I've got more equity. Maybe I'll do that home improvement at the swimming pool. That obviously aids in the economy, jobs, profits, et cetera. Um, and more growth of balance sheet generally also leads generally to more uh, spending uh, by U.S. consumers. New home sales, second really strong month right around that 800,000 level. Uh, they came in at 801. The estimate was for 803. That stayed at that high annualized pace that we got in December, which was a huge 12% bump. So uh, that 800 plus level is just uh, strong. Still, uh, tight inventory, tough for builders to get supplies and some of the things they need to complete their projects. Pending home sales in the month of January fell 5.7%, way more than expected. This was due to high prices, really pricing a lot of people out of the markets, almost no inventory. Uh, those two forces combined are really restricting um, the quantity of new home sales and, sort of, of course, putting upward pressure on prices. We got the flash readings from Marquette. You know, ISM puts out one reading for manufacturing and for services at the end of the month, first couple of days of the next month, which we'll get this week. Marquette puts out a preliminary or a flash reading towards the end of the month, which they did last week. And then they also put out a final next week along with ISM. The preliminary reading uh, for February for manufacturing from Marquette was a jump to 57.5. That was above expectations. That's a great reading. You can see that over here on the right, we've been trending lower, and this was a big jump here for the month of February. Services, you had the same thing. It's a bit of a trend lower, and then a huge jump. That rose to 56.7. Both of those numbers are outstanding. We're going to wait for confirmation from the final readings this week and the ISM readings, but I expect they will follow that path and be very good readings as well. Conference Board's consumer confidence number is one of those things that's not getting higher. Obviously, there's plenty of things to be concerned about for consumers in the US, the biggest of which is inflation. Um, and now, of obviously, the geopolitical tensions, does that spill into more? Is it, does it lead to a broader war in Russia? Does Vladimir Putin take Ukraine, ultimately control the capital? Um, does he go on further to other countries? Does China decide it's their opportunity while the world is focused on the Ukraine? Is it their opportunity to use military force uh, in Taiwan? All of these questions are weighing on the confidence of American consumers. Weekly claims for unemployment continue to be extremely low at 232,000. Continuing claims fell again to 1.476 or about a million and a half. Uh, these are great numbers showing a very strong labor market. We all know 
um, the, the, the pressure in the labor market, which is, as I mentioned last week, starting to drive some CapEx plans, which is good, as companies look for ways to automate and do more with less human labor given the severe shortage. For the fourth quarter, the GDP report, the annualized rate of GDP growth was revised just a little bit higher, right in line with expectations, went from 6.9 to 7. However, personal consumption, which is a critical component of GDP, was revised just a little bit lower. Still, great, great number going into 2022. We also got personal income and spending for the month of January. You can see personal income was unchanged at minus 0.3%. You can't even see the blue bar there at the far right hand side of your screen, but the orange personal spending was a big rebound up 2.1%. That's the best reading we've had there since um, about this time last year. So um, this coincides with what we saw in services, manufacturing, residential real estate. Uh, people are still continuing to spend. There was also a couple of softer months because with the um, Omicron variant of COVID-19, there was some amount of stay home about concerns from that with cases and death rates dropping uh, rapidly um, we're seeing uh, activity pick back up i'd say the worst news on the week uh, from an economic standpoint obviously not from the human standpoint for those in ukraine the is the inflation number the pce price index this is the primary gauge that the fed uses to determine whether or not it's meeting its statutory mandate of price stability the PCE price index rose six-tenths of a percent, right along with estimates. That is the blue line there. It's annualized, I'm sorry, it's the blue line. That was 6.1%. And the core, which is the real one they look at the most, they're targeting two. They've been below two for a lot of years. They're rarely above two, but now they're significantly above two at 5.2%. January durable goods orders rose 1.6% last month after a 1.2% uh, jump in December. Normally a volatile series, but given the extraordinarily low level of inventories, durable goods orders remain almost exclusively up. Look at the right-hand side of the screen. You only see two down months and a couple of flat months in there altogether. Signs of just more signs of how strong uh, the economy really is, and we're hoping obviously it doesn't get destabilized by some of the things we see going around the world. Back to sentiment again, I showed you already conference board. University of Michigan sentiment reading fell again, but was better than expectations. You can guess exactly why it's inflation, 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 and consumers are just not going to feel great until they see some relief uh, on consumer prices. And uh, with what's happened in uh, the Ukraine in the last couple of weeks, that puts strains on energy markets and drives up energy prices, which leads to higher gasoline prices for American consumers. We're just about wrapping up with earnings season for the fourth quarter. I've been telling you all along, they are fantastic. They, and here they are, 474 out of 500 names uh, reported, 363 beat, only 87 missed. So it was a very strong earnings season. We're just about done. I thought I had a few interesting things on this Russia-Ukraine, uh, sort of the economic side of this Russia-Ukraine thing this week. And this, and you can all do this, there's an app for your phone or you can um, do it online. Go to flightradar24.com and you can look at real-time air traffic. This is midday Sunday afternoon when I'm recording this. And you notice this big hole or this big circle, I guess you want to call it, right around uh, the Ukraine where there's really no commercial, almost no commercial flights uh, in there. Normally, you see all these yellow 
you know, planes, they represent commercial airlines or any airline that has its tracking system on it. So any, air, any plane that's traveling in that airspace right now has its tra tracking system turned off, which means it's a, it's a military war plane. Even sometimes military transports will obviously will do it. U.S., some of their drones, we have that on there. And some of these most watched, you can see most track flights over here, some of them are actually U.S. drones. And it's an interesting thing to see because, uh, you know, again, two weeks ago, you would have saw a lot of, seen a lot of commercial flights there. So one of the things I've been, I've been looking at, you may want to do the same, is the area over Taiwan. This is live. You can see plenty of commercial flights, patterns look normal, lots of uh, activity going on. And if there were something happening over there, which is one of our worst fears, of course, then uh, you would not see those yellow airplanes on that. Uh, another thing I thought was worth, worth looking at is the Russian stock market. This is the MSCI Russia Stock Market Index. And I go back to the peak, which was mid-October, to the trough, which was a couple of days ago before the big, they rallied back, quite frankly, on Friday as there was discussion. I think it was fake discussion, but that uh, perhaps Vladimir Putin was going to back off if uh, Ukraine agreed to be a neutral nation and not aligned with NATO. Um, I think he says a lot of things to get his way and then, of course, doesn't follow through. But we were down peak to trough at the worst, 61%. So that's bad for Russia. Lots of economic sanctions being put into place. That's really bad for Russia. And this is what's happening to their borrowing costs, their government debt. Put this in perspective, a 10-year U.S. government bond uh, yields 2%. It means it costs our government only 2%. That's pretty good when you have inflation running at 5%. U.S. government has the ability to borrow at 2 uh, Russian government, if they want to borrow money, they're going to have to pay 16% at the moment. It makes it very difficult uh, for them to run their country. And that is sort of certainly one of the many intents of the economic sanctions that are being placed on them by the U.S. and other countries. Finally, you've heard a lot of discussion about the SWIFT system. If you've ever had to send a wire, you know that when you send a wire, you, you include a routing number, that's to a U.S. bank, and then an account number, and that's where the money goes. But when you want to wire money outside of the United States, you, you also need something called a SWIFT code. SWIFT stands for Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. It is not a system by which money is transmitted. It's a system by which they communicate their transfer requests to each other, and they feel it's a safe way to, to verify uh, and validate those transactions. It it's based in Belgium, handles millions of instructions for about 200 nations and 11,000 institutions. As of right now, really only Iran and North Korea are banned from using the system, and that has wreaked significant havoc on their economy. Boris Yeltsin, the Prime Minister of the UK, came out quickly and said, well, let's ban Russia from the system. I don't think he had really thought that through when he said it, because the Europeans, unfortunately, are very dependent on Russian natural gas. We wish they would buy natural gas from the United States. We can export natural gas now. But 40% of their use comes from Russia. They have to be able to pay Russia. Russia has to be able to receive payment. If they don't pay and Russia doesn't receive payment, they don't get their natural gas. It's very, very cold. It's wintertime in Europe. In addition, there's about $120 billion in outstanding payments owed to Western banks from Russia. So if Russia were cut off, that money would not get paid to Western financial institutions, which could be a strain on our system. Now, in the U.S., it's only about $15 billion owed to U.S. banks, something we could handle 
um, without question, but there are some Russian and Italian banks that could be significantly harmed in this. That is the reason why they didn't immediately cut Russia out of the SWIFT system. In addition to that, Russia does have alternative systems. They have one of their own, they have their own payment system, and so does uh, the People's Republic of China. I did get a lot of calls and emails from a lot of you, rightfully concerned what's happening, particularly on the days that the markets are going down. Have I lost? Of course, you don't lose until you sell. And you would have had to buy everything on the high of the market and sell it on the low of the market to do that. We know we invest over our lifetimes and we divest over our retirements. So it's really not that big a deal. But I'd also thought I'd put in perspective too, just because things are bad, a geopolitical perspective doesn't mean it's a time to sell uh, good quality investments. Here's a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Office uh, average from 1935 to 1950. Obviously that incorporates the period of World War II. On the far left, a big rally back up uh, after the stock market crash of 29. Uh, then, you know, down, down, down as inflation because recession and there was deflationary times in the 30s. Suddenly the economy starts to improve and then the Germans start having these big victories all over Europe and the stock market did go down. You can see from about a 150 level to about a 110 level, that's a pretty sizable drop. It kind of muddled along and then dropped again with Pearl Harbor, um, the you know, Battle of Midway, et cetera. But long before resolution of World War II, long before the Battle of Guadalcanal, long before June, June 1944 invasion of D-Day in Normandy, uh, long before the Axis powers surrendered, uh, before uh, you know, the surrender on the deck of the Missouri, et cetera, the market had been rallying well, well in advance. So very difficult thing to do if you're thinking about doing it, try to time the market around geopolitical events, because most of the news is sort of put out quickly. We don't know a lot of what's really going on, and it'd be very, very difficult to do. So I encourage investors to just stay the course, Big sell-offs, if you have cash, are usually a pretty good time to invest that cash if you remain a long-term investor. Lots of economic data this week. Uh, as I mentioned, the market uh, manufacturing PMIs, um, the ISM, you know, the market finals, the ISMs, uh, they only do the one. Automobile sales, which have been coming back up, which is great. The ADP jobs report, we're expecting a gain of 350,000. I think last month's going to get revised higher. Fed's beige book, important, coming up for their next meeting. This is the March 16th meeting, so very, very important there. ISM services, market services, the big U.S. jobs report, expecting unemployment to come in at 3.9%. Thanks again, everybody. Again, please, if you can, uh, take a listen on the podcast and subscribe and tweet and like and all that good stuff. Thank you. Talk to you again in a week or sooner if market conditions warrant. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.